Hello and welcome back to State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. Today, my guest is Abby Rose of Farmarama Radio and Vida Cycle. Abby is an independent and influential female voice within the regenerative farming world. And in particular, she's really clued up on the role of soil in determining the future of our health from what we put in our bodies to building resilience against extreme weather and climate change. Abby is actually a physicist by trade, but comes from a farming family. And about five years ago, she started getting really into soil health and its impacts on our planet and our bodies. In this episode, we chat about how our gut microbiome is very similar to the soil microbiome and how the two are connected. The difference between grass and grain fed, the way plants connect with each other via their amazing network under the ground. And thankfully, we end the show on a positive note about our role as humans in the future of the planet. This episode is sponsored by Exhale Coffee, coffee that's free from mycotoxins, heavy metals and pesticides. But I'm going to tell you more about that later and give you a discount code so you can try fun. But I'm going to talk about that later and give you a discount code so you can try some for yourself. For now, on with the episode. Abby, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Grace. It's um, Yeah, I'm excited to chat. Generally, just always excited to talk about soil and farming. So amazing. <laughs> Happy to be here. So I want to get straight into things, Abby, as you know, um, and start with probably the biggest question that I have and the topic that I would love to probably explore the most with you today. Mm-hmm. Um And that's this idea of the soil as the earth's microbiome. Now, obviously, listeners of this podcast, um, as I'm a nutritional therapist, will be very aware of the gut microbiome and the importance of gut health um, in, you know, systemic well-being. Um, But there is, uh, as I'm sure you'll tell us, a huge missing puzzle piece in this equation, which is um, the health of our soil. So, do delve in and um, tell us all about it. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think when someone first told me that the soil was the Earth's microbiome, I I really, like, it didn't, I just couldn't comprehend what that really meant. Um, and I think the first thing to really understand about that is that, like, soil is a, it's like a living web filled with so many organisms you can't even imagine in the same way that we're realizing that our gut is this living interface. Um, and, you know, there's way more microbes in our gut than there are like human cells, essentially. Um, and in the same way in soil, you know, in one handful of soil, there are more um, microbial organisms than there are people on the planet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like really is just so, so alive. A healthy soil, that is. Sorry, there are much more dead soils than that. But a healthy soil is just teeming with life and teeming with these bacteria, fungi, uh, nematodes, all these different little living things that are all kind of in conversation with each other and in communication. Um, And then through plant roots, um, they are in communication with plants. And so that, again, that's so similar to our gut, you know, where we have the little, oh, well, you're, you're better on the me- medical side of this, but like, is it villi? Is that what they're called? Or whatever the little yeah. uh, protrusions are. Yeah, the, very, the, 
the finger-like projections yes. in our gut are called the villi, yeah. Villi, yeah. Um, so in the same way, you know, that's kind of the, inter- the my, my understanding is that's like the microbial, that's the way the microbes kind of interact with the human on the other side as such. So it's really, really, there's huge parallels essentially between the way that the soil interacts with plants and the way your gut microbe interacts with the human body. So we're talking about the the kind of host in the sense of being the human in this case, the host's overall wellness affecting, you know, every like every other living thing, you know, every process mm-hmm. within our body. Um mm-hmm. And I guess also we can think about the gut-brain axis too, and um, and that's another method of communication that our gut has, you know, a direct link to our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, so so how does soil health? Because look, the average person who eats a healthy diet and exercises five times a week, and you know, listens to wellness podcasts, and you know, <laughs> does all the good things, yeah, is probably not thinking on this level of soil health because mm-hmm. it, it almost if you know if you're not a farmer or uh, at home gardener it's kind of we've lost that connection with the earth haven't we and we've lost mm-hmm. that connection of how important it is for our well-being and not just I mean obviously a huge part of that is that however healthy our soil is means that the crop and, and the food that we grow in is more healthy and then presumably there's more nutrients in that food mm-hmm. and then we consume that food as being on top of the the pyramid and the food chain and everyone's like happy and healthy and great mm-hmm. but what has happened in recent years that's really disrupting that balance then how is it how is it playing out now over the i don't know definitely the last 60 years um and and there's different periods of history that this has happened there's been um extreme soil degradation um and essentially that is because um in our farming practices or what is known as conventional farming, um, there has been very little recognition of this biological web that the soil is. In fact, soil has been seen as a a sort of like a substrate lacking any biological life as such, or any, the biological life was not of interest. I mean, it was treated Mm -hmm. in a very chemical way. So if you wanted a plant to grow, Um, you just kind of would put the plant in the soil so that it had like roots to keep it standing up straight, but then you would use chemicals to give it all of its nutrition. So whether that was nitrogen, artificial nitrogen, phosphates, whatever it was, you were going to be applying that in, in a chemical form. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what happens in that situation is where before the plant would have been sending Um, signals through its roots so like as a plant photosynthesizes it creates sugars um, and then it it's been shown to give like around 40 percent up to 40 percent of those sugars go straight into its roots Mm -hmm. Um, and that's because they want to attract the bacteria and fungi um, and and send out a message saying hey bacteria will you go get me some phosphorus please because I need it right now Um, And then the bacteria and fungi, the networks go away and they bring back the nutrients the plant requires. The plant gives it a little bit of its sugar. Um, The bacteria is happy because it's got its sugar and the plant's happy because it's got its phosphates. Um, Mm. And then you get a really healthy plant. But in the chemical paradigm or that we've been using, um, we've been like circumventing those processes essentially. 
Um, and in fact, actually, you know, applying a lot of nitrogen can actually kill a lot of the microbial life in the soil. Mm. Um, so what we've done is we've like destroyed that whole biological system that was the way that plants got their nutrition and and built their own health and got water you know like because for example the fungal network you know that can extend like two miles or more and they're sending messages you know if um a pest if a tree or a plant experiences the pest two miles away it can send a message along the fungal networks that means that the plants uh, are start to produce the required, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Defenses against that pest. Um, so it's this whole messaging network. Um, and then they can share water and all this stuff. So by depleting our soil, um, we've essentially killed off all of that, the nourishment, the, the health, yeah. yeah, the community, the network. It's like, it's like we've destroyed the World Wide Web below our feet, the fungal network, the fungal web. Um, and we've said, hey, plants, don't worry, we can do it better for you. And actually what we're finding is that <laughs> um, our method isn't as good. <laughs> uh, you know, we're ending up having like less healthy crops, um, crops that are more prone to pests and diseases. And then you end up in the cycle where you have to apply more fungicides, uh, more pesticides just to have a crop grow. And it's essentially a completely unsupported system. Um, and, and it's you know now being linked to uh, part of soil degradation is that when you degrade soils, you also release carbon into the atmosphere. Um, a healthy soil stores huge amounts of carbon. Um, so we're just seeing that actually this method of farming is playing out in so many different ways, whether it's mm. like climate change, whether it's human health, um, whether it's flooding, it's also responsible, like a, an unhealthy soil can't um, uh, retain water. Um, and soils are one of the best water storage units as such on the planet. Um, so part of the reason we're seeing extreme flooding events is because our soils are unable to retain the water any longer. God, it's absolutely incredible for someone like me that obviously I, you know, I know a little bit about this and, and that's why I'm talking to you today. But for it's just amazing how many, as you were talking then, just how similar the comparisons are with the human race and everything you were talking about, like the lack of community um, that we now have um, mm -hmm. in our daily lives is so similar to the lack of community beneath the soil that you're talking about. Um, antibiotic resistance, mm -hmm. I guess, could be seen as like exactly the same thing because we, um, instead of um, you know, fostering our own innate immunity, mm -hmm. we have pumped ourselves full of so many antibiotics and now we're resistant to them. And it's mm -hmm. kind of how you were saying about the usage of pesticides and things. Totally. Um, it's, it's just mind blowing. How did you feel when you first started getting into this? Was it like unbelievably overwhelming? <laughs> In some ways, yes. I think I think you can probably tell, like, even every time I talk about it, I still feel like my mind is blown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I just, every time I, part of the reason I really love talking about it is because I love imagining this other world that just, I had never, ever been told about before. I hadn't, 
you know, like just even five years ago, I was totally uninterested in soil. Like I saw mm-hmm. it as dirt um, and just like, I didn't get why people thought it was interesting. Um, and it's so when I started to understand truly what this living system is, um, I think I just felt like almost like a tight chest in terms of like, wow, mm. this is massive. And it's just, it's such a wondrous or a wondrous thing. I don't want to say substance because it's so much more than that. It's like a wondrous, um, world (laughs) yeah it really is a world even like you were just saying how you know the roots and everything communicate with each other and you know one that communication can be you know x meters long or whatever that that Mm -hmm. presumably means that that all of the the plants across the whole globe are connected in some way which is mind-boggling yeah I mean I can't verify that, (laughs) but certainly in my head, that's how I think about it. And I guess obviously across oceans, potentially not, but certainly on continents, you could imagine that they are all connected. Yeah. And I think it's really wonderful. And just to be, to further that, like where I think I really cemented my understanding was actually through like my own um, experiences of just playing around with gardening. Um, Mm. Because obviously, so I, you know, my family farm. Um, and so that's one thing, but you can really start to experience soil just through a garden. Cause I, I messed about with like trying to plant my vegetables interspersed with different, um, flowers and stuff because soil particularly likes diversity. It wants to have many different types of plants that are, you know, asking for different things at different times. It, it nurtures the mi- microbial life in the soil. And so I really played around with having a really diverse little vegetable patch um, when I started and and really letting weeds grow as well. Um, And I started to see the soil evolve. And in particular, like around the root interface, you can, if you'd like tug a weed out or something, you can look at the root and it's what's called the rhizosheath or the rhizosphere is the area around the root. Mm -hmm. And if that's got lots of um, soil on it, stuck to it in a sticky way, Um, then that's like a really clear sign that the microbes are talking to the plants Mm. because essentially they leave that residue of glue on all the roots, um, the the microbes do. Um, And so when I first saw that rhizosheath uh, building, that was just like, uh, yeah, (laughs) I I have a picture of it and I still think of it as one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So... Abby, what are the the kind of really what are the consequences for for cli- for the climate, I guess, of um, you know the increasing lack of biodiversity of the soil, um, and and how you know how worried do we need to be? It's a really big question, um, and I think that there's kind of ever uh, improving or ever evolving science about it, but. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, in a unhealthy or healthy soils have this huge capacity to sequester carbon. Um, and, and they have this huge capacity to um, retain water when they need to or provide water um, in drought situations. I guess one point I want to make is that, you know, the, everyone is so focused on carbon when it comes to climate change. Um, mm-hmm. And 
what I'm learning from people uh, within the farming space is that actually, uh, in particular, a guy called Walter Jenna in Australia, um, is that carbon, or the way he sees it is carbon is just the symptom. Carbon in the atmosphere is, is the symptom of a sickness of the earth, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that sickness is land degradation, desertification, and, and essentially the way we've been farming and treating land. Um, has led to uh, increased radiation from the the Earth's surface and also like decreased rainfall. And it's basically destroyed our our natural hydrological cycles. Mm -hmm. So the reason I'm saying that is that in terms of climate, he really advocates for us focusing on our hydrological cycles. Um, And that if we can get those back into balance, Um, then the climate will, or the carbon levels will rectify themselves um, and the heat problems or the, you know, increase in temperature will also be rectified. So I think that's a really important distinction. And if you think about uh, the water and hydrological cycles, uh, soil is kind of, well, he calls it the um, soil carbon sponge. A soil that has plenty of carbon in it is able to kind of um, absorb water and provide it, trickle it out as plants need it, for example. Um, and therefore it's kind of, I would say soil is at the core of climate and our climate mm. problems. And that if we can help build soil health, that that will really transform what our earth and our planet ecosystem is like mm. and how our climate cycles work. and. I could have answered that in a simpler way, which was to just say, oh, soil sequesters carbon, so we all need to sequester more carbon and that will, uh, you know, rectify carbon levels. But I guess I wanted to add in the slightly more complex answer, because in the same way, you know, people who understand, have a more holistic understanding of health, realize, you know, you, you go to the doctor with symptoms and often people will just give you a plaster for your symptoms, but that doesn't really solve the root cause. In the same way, I think that uh, carbon and solving or like reducing our carbon output is a somewhat of a plaster solution Mm. um, for what's actually a much deeper problem of soil degradation and hydrological cycle disruption. Launched in lockdown 2020, Exhale is the UK's first speciality coffee to be sourced and roasted specifically to maximise its health benefits. We know that coffee has really great associated health benefits and this has to do with its polyphenol content. That's plant chemicals to you and I. Actually, not to me because this is a bit of my area of expertise, but... Polyphenols are found in fruits and veggies, blueberries, green tea, etc, etc, and are important for maintaining good gut health and nutrient levels within the body. So why are all coffees not created equally? Firstly, coffee is a really hard crop to grow, and for that reason most companies choose to spray their crops with pesticides to get a higher yield. Those pesticides then end up in your flat white, which is not particularly helpful for maintaining optimum health. Exhale coffee is organic and their decaf uses the water pressure method to gently extract the caffeine from the beans, so no nasty chemical residues from that process either. 
Their journey to finding the best beans involved nine rounds of lab testing at independent labs across Europe, and they then found a coffee that tested 40% higher in polyphenols, specifically chlorogenic acid, than any other. It is one of the richest sources of niacin in our diets and is free from any nasties, including mycotoxins, pesticides, toxins, and heavy metals. One of the coolest things I think is that Exhale tested their coffee's antioxidant power. And when comparing it to some of the healthiest foods available in the supermarket, one cup of Exhale coffee had the equivalent antioxidant power of 12 punnets of blueberries, 55 oranges, or 1.8 kilograms of kale. And aside from all of this, it's the tastiest coffee I've ever brewed. Exhale have also just launched their espresso roast, which has a bolder, stronger, and more punchy flavor. The founder of Exhale, Alex, is super proud of the espresso roast because usually when you roast a coffee to make it darker, its healthiest compound, the chlorogenic acid, drops off a cliff somewhere just after the medium roast. But Exhale have developed this new roast profile and have managed to push the coffee even closer to this drop-off point without actually crossing it. Their new espresso roast retains 98% of the chlorogenic acid of their regular and medium roasts. And aside from all of this science, it's the tastiest coffee I've ever brewed. If you would like to set up a coffee delivery subscription, just head over to their website and use the code GRACE40, all in capitals, which will give you 40% off the first bag in your subscription plus free delivery. They roast and grind every Monday and post your order on a Tuesday, so it's always super fresh. Thank you so much to Exhale. So I want to, um, that kind of brings me on nicely to this, because talking about, you know, climate change and environmentalism, um, something I picked up on in one of your blog posts was this idea that it's very easy these days to latch on to um, the, the fact that intensive farming methods of, let's say, soy in the Amazon um, is bad. Like, that's obviously true. Um, and we, you know, we could potentially blame the veganism movement for that because there is a huge demand for soy, let's just say. Um, but at the same time, the the picture between meat eaters and plant-based eaters is not that clear because whilst you could have a vegan eating lots of these like fake meat burgers or whatever it might be made of soy, you can also have a meat eater that's eating meat that's been fed on intensively farmed grain. So actually it's kind of like the issue is the same. It's not whether you're a plant-based eater. It's not whether you're a meat eater. It's, it's how has... Um, what's making your food been made. And I guess that brings me on to, um, you know, people really needing in the 21st century to understand the difference between grass-fed uh, meat that's like local and um, ethically reared and perhaps almost the kind of shocking, I guess, similarities between uh, meat that's been fed on on grain and you know soy that's supposed to be like saving the planet because you know we all hear that we need to eat less meat to to save the planet so I just think that's a really interesting link and would love to hear your thoughts on that so I mean the yeah I think a huge majority of soy and uh commodity crops I would call it so you know, soy is grown as on large, large scales in monocultures and, and sold on the commodity market, essentially. All, all of that, a lot of it goes to feed animals. 
um, and, and some of it goes to feed humans. Um, and whether you eat it directly or you eat it via an animal, um, it's, it's the same issue, essentially. <laughs> so mm. you're absolutely right that the most important issue really is to, to ask, like, how was what I'm eating produced? Mm. Um, because eating an impossible burger that is made from pea proteins or whatever that are intensively farmed in my mind is extremely destructive um, to our planet and particularly to our soils in the same way that intensively reared animals are. And mm. so, yeah, so that's where grass fed or in fact pasture fed animals are a completely different question and story. And I think one distinction to just say is like, it's actually really, really important to ask questions um, because grass fed, uh, animals actually like that label in itself legally you only have to have fed the animals for 50 percent of their life on grass yeah and they can be grain finished right yeah yeah so 50 percent of their life could have been grain and soy so you, you mm. can still be falling into the same game mm. but if you can find sources um, and they are out there you know many farmers you can buy from them direct um there's like when an animal is fed all of its life on grass and pasture, it has this amazing kind of interaction with soil and with the ecosystem um, where it's actually helping to, you can graze them in such a way that they really help to build soil health and build carbon, help sequester carbon. Um, and, you know, they help to build the whole ecosystem around a farm, for example. So like, you know, mm. all sorts of different birds and insects live there. So it's like they form part of the diversity of the system. Mm -hmm. um, and so actually animals can be a huge, they can, you can find farms that are like carbon negative um, and they're selling meat mm -hmm. because the animals are reared in a way that's actually really nourishing for the soil. Um, and similarly, I know less about this side of it, but I certainly know many people talk about the health benefits for the human um, of having, uh, you know, 100% grass-fed meat. Um, yeah. Because actually, the my understanding is the omega balance in the meat is like completely different yes. um, when animals are fed in that way. Yeah. I just released a, a podcast on um, fats and the omega-3 to 6 ratio last week. Um, okay. Because that's like my field of expertise. So it's really Great. interesting to hear the, you know, the, the links and the tie ups and how we we cannot anymore um, continue to live in this way that we have been where we just think that we exist as a sole entity and that we are not connected to absolutely everything around us in terms of our environments it, it yeah I think that mentality needs to change doesn't it um I wanted to to ask you about your your thoughts on how COVID um and you know the current pandemic has changed our relationship to food and without embarrassing you Abby I'd love <laughs> to just read quickly um a passage from a piece that you've written, which I just think is so powerful, and then you can delve into it for us. So you say, oh, and this is talking about, um, you know, what happens after, after COVID. 
Our fields will continue to be doused in chemicals in order to produce commodities repackaged as food in a global supply chain. Large tin sheds will cover the valleys to house millions of pigs and chickens destined for a £1.50 supermarket sandwich. Or maybe these moments will pause and stay with us. Maybe we'll remember that this moment revealed a kind of humanity that could not be offered by agribusiness and giant supermarkets, but only by those directly in touch with the harvest. We'll think back on how the regenerative farmers, bakers and producers worked tirelessly to ensure that we were all fed, that they were the real source of food when we needed it, and that actually when it comes down to it, food producers are at the core of human existence and will ultimately determine our collective future. I mean, it's such a great piece and I will link it in the show notes, but um, I guess the takeaway that you can explain for us is how in this pandemic, we've all turned to the small suppliers, haven't we? We've we've gone back to shopping at farmers markets and we need to think now, is that going to change? Are we just going to go back to the way we were? I mean, yeah, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. I think for me, what was and still is so, you know, surprising is that that moment when supermarket shelves were empty. And I think, you know, prior to the to the pandemic, when we spoke about the idea of small-scale farmers were the people who were actually feeding us, um, people always kind of dismissed that as like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, that's kind of um, almost like an elitist idea or it's a hippie thing. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not mainstream. It's never gonna be mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> the supermarket shelves were empty, which was like, essentially to me and I think to many people that was a sudden realization of like wow actually this globalized system that we've built and come to think is totally like normal and mainstream may not serve us like it truly has broken down in Mm -hmm. serving us what we need Um, and I think that that kind of moment provides like a fracture in that prevail the previous prevailing narrative, which was that the globalized system is what's going to feed us going forward, mm. um, and and it's given us that moment to stop and reflect and see like wow, actually we can engage with local uh, producers and that they are actually the people who are much more nimble and resilient in the face of unknowns and in you know when things change quickly, they can respond more quickly. We really yeah. saw the vulnerability of these big systems that are trying, you know, are purportedly more efficient, but I would say much less resilient. Um, and actually, many people would argue that the small scale systems are way more efficient um, in many mm-hmm. ways, uh, maybe not on a balance sheet, but certainly in many other ways um, they are. And yeah. so I think the truth is also is that you know, the FAO produced, or the Food and Agriculture Organization produced um, a report a few years ago, which showed that 70% of our food comes from small-scale farmers globally. Wow. Mm. And I think, you know, most people cannot believe that, um, but it's true. (laughs) Um, And if you really think about why is that, um, and you look into it, it's because the huge majority of in inverted commas food or crops anyway that are grown by industrial agriculture are destined for the commodity market 
Um, and either they go to feed animals or they go to make biofuels and energy. And very mm. few of them actually end up feeding human beings. Yeah, I had no idea. You just assume that when you buy from a supermarket, it's come from a, a massive field somewhere, like huge scale, you know, agriculture. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, some of it will have, but it's actually very surprising um, glo- we've got to remember also this is globally so it takes into account people who don't necessarily shop in supermarkets mm-hmm. um, but there is a surprising amount of human food um, well 70% of it that comes from small scale farmers and, and I'm talking like really small scale so I think you know we I'm, I'm really into like stories and narratives and I think that we've really been sold this idea that the only way we can go forward and feed ourselves is this kind of very technological monoculture mass farming future. Mm. Um, and I think COVID offered an opportunity for us to say, oh, wow, actually that may not work. <laughs> um, yeah. And look, we've already got another system that really did work in this case. And how can we move forward in supporting that? Because it seems Mm. that that will be um, a more likely uh, solution in times of crisis. Yeah, definitely. So Abby, I wanted to ask you just to kind of um, wrap things up. What's you know, for for those listening to this episode that think, oh gosh, this is like a, a topic I hadn't even thought about and, you know, it's really made an impact on me and I can, you know, I can kind of understand having listened to this that soil is really important. Um, what what can we do as individuals? Like how do we how do we tackle this? How do we change it? Like what do we do in the future? Hmm. What are some takeaways, I guess, that you could give people from from what you've said to us today? Well, If you do have a garden, um, I would encourage you to look into the no dig gardening movement. Um, By not digging and not turning soil, you allow it to um, retain all of its living web. Um, And and so it's actually an amazing way of learning about how to build healthy soil is by practicing no dig gardening. And and there's loads of information about that online through someone like Charles Dowding. Um, So that... Yeah, so if you have a garden or you're interested in that, that's a really exciting way to engage. Um, Also, I guess in terms of buying habits, um, you know, you can, we were talking about grass-fed meat. Um, So if you do choose to buy meat, you should, you know, there are like great ethical places to buy meat. So there's the the Pasture for Life certification um, so, and all the farmers who are pasture for life farmers, um, or there's like Piper's Farm, there's the Ethical Butcher, all you know, all of those are selling uh, meat that's been reared in a really like ethical, uh, carb, uh, climate friendly, uh, soil friendly way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can be supporting in that sense. And I mean, I <laughs> I always say also like you know. Certainly, like, for example, um, just just learn more. If you're curious, like, you can listen. Part of what we do at Farmerama is we do monthly episodes, but we also do series um, that are more in-depth and that are aimed at, you know, the non-farming community. Um, so anyone yeah. can tune in and, like, our serial series, for example, you know, by listening to that, you can start to really understand where you fit um, and and how you might want to be involved. Um, so I think 
those are some good ways to kind of take action. Yeah, do those resonate? What else? What, what, what do you think? Well, I find it all quite daunting, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, you know, I, I consider myself quite lucky in the sense that I am aware of the problems. Um, you know, I am... Um, it's so funny that you mentioned Piper's Farm and Ethical Butcher because they're both future guests on this podcast. Oh, great. Um, you know, that's where I buy my meat from. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, like I, I'm I'm educated in it. I'm, I'm passionate about the world that I inhabit, but I still find it difficult to see, like it's quite, I feel like it's quite bleak. Because, you know, we do hear so much um, in the media about climate change and, you know, what we've been doing to the world and stuff. And then you you add the soil question on top of that and you realise that actually it all comes down to the soil. But because the soil chat isn't mainstream, it makes me feel like, what are we going to do? <laughs> like, how do we how do we change this? Um, and yes. Yeah, I guess it's just making people realise that your small scale efforts matter and it doesn't have to be a huge grand gesture. It could just be like growing more of your own food in your garden and being really careful and really choosy about where you buy your food from. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you say, learning more. Yeah. And, and I do think that the soil, it, for me, see, I feel the opposite. When I, when I think about the soil, I think, wow, that's way easier to, comprehend as a way forward because Mm. to me climate change and the idea of like is so I find it so negative the conversation around climate change like we're all yeah well yeah it is isn't it it's really negative yeah and and actually um a guy called farmer rishi on instagram or rishi kumar he he does has a really brilliant um series of posts about like uh what he calls regenerative um language versus degenerative language. Um, mm-hmm. And he specifically talks about how, it, you know, when you hear about climate change and reducing your carbon footprint, um, it's very focused on like the idea that as humans, we are kind of a disease on the planet um, and that the planet would be much better off if we weren't here. And so everything's yeah. about like reducing us to zero, reduce, 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 like, um, and, and actually that, that that way of living in the world it, it makes you feel like you're, you're the problem. Mm. And, and that, that's actually quite unhealthy um, for our like mental health, but also as a way to relate to the world. It, it just, it isn't a very um, empowering place to come from. And also the more I learn about the soil, the more I think it's not true. Like actually we are part of the ecosystem of the planet. Um, we are we are part of this extended soil organism and body, um, you know, as we started, like talking about our microbiome and the earth microbiome, like you can almost see them as one, like there's a huge interplay there. Um, and that, <laughs> sorry, there's a massive divergence. But anyway, I think like even using words like environment, he, uh, Rishi Kumar says, you know, the word environment implies that there's an other out there. Um, and that, you know, he says, where does the environment start and, uh, or stop and you start? Like, where, where is that point? How do you define that? Um, and he encourages people to use the word body instead. So, you know, we, that everything around us is like the extended body 
um, and that we're part of one body um, and your mm. body and what you do with your body will be part of what happens to the body. <laughs> yeah. um, and that that's part of why, you know, watching rainforests burn in Brazil, like why does that hurt in our lungs as well? It's because it's part of us and, 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 it, and we feel it. Um, and so I think that, you know, as you get more into learning about soil as this, and you start uh, as a living web and you start to see everything around you as part of this like connected, living, breathing, ecosystem mm. that we mm. as humans are part of it's quite empowering because suddenly it's not like how can I reduce my carbon footprint it's like how can I contribute to this planet I'm part of um, you know how can I by composting like build new soil um, you know how can I regenerate um, how can I if I'm feeding my body with like nutrients from the earth that are produced holistically and you know building soil health um, that's not only feeding me, that's feeding the planet. Um, and mm. suddenly you get into this more of an abundance mindset of like, wow, all these things I'm doing are contributing and I'm a contribution. Um, yeah. So that's <laughs> that's, that's where I'm a, going. <laughs> that's such a nice positive note to end on. Thank you for like dragging me out of my depths of despair there for a second. <laughs> um, and... Lastly, Abby, if people want to engage with you and hear more about this, where is the best place to find you? Yeah, I guess um, Farmerama is, uh, so farmerama.co is our website and, um, you know, Farmerama Radio, that's our regular podcast. Um, and you can definitely get in touch with us through our website or touch with me through the website. Um, and I mean, I also... Um, do have my own medium blog and uh, I'm at Abby underscore super on Twitter. But Farmerama is a good place to go. Okay, amazing. I'll pop that link in the show notes. Thank you so much for being a guest today. This has been absolutely wonderful and incredibly informative. Thank you. Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. If you haven't already, I would be so grateful if you could leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app. And just a reminder that Exhale Coffee are giving you 40% off your first order with the code GRACE40 at the checkout. Thanks so much and see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>